Well, if you notice the title on that uh, bumper video, we are going to be talking about a celebration of security today. Uh, I think it's safe to say as human beings that our security is one of the single most important things to us. Um, I think we can probably say that we like to be assured of our security on a regular basis. Um, in one way or another, you know, we get into our cars and we're making sure that we put the seatbelt on because we want to be secure or, uh, you know, we like the new features on our vehicles, you know, the airbags all around us or, you know, the automatic braking, you know, if you get too close. We like those things because we like security. You know, when I think of assurance of security, I, I, I think it's important to know that you have assurance that you were secure when you were in a roller coaster. Would anybody agree with me on that? How many of you uh, have been on a roller coaster before? How many of you like roller coasters? Okay, I just got to say that in the first service, there was a lot of people that raised their hand when I said, how many of you have been on a roller coaster? There were very few who raised their hand when I asked if they liked them. So uh, it's, it's interesting that maybe we've been on them, but that doesn't mean that it's our favorite thing for sure. But, you know, I, I was thinking about the fact that I... I of the roller coasters that I've been on. And uh, there's one in, um, in, in uh, Tampa, Florida, at Bush Gardens called Shikra, uh, which I'm going to show you in just a second, why this particular roller coaster for me was super important to know that I had assurance of my security on this. You know what it's like to get on, your, on the roller coaster, right? You, you start walking in the line or you're about to approach the line to the roller coaster. And of course, you know, they got warnings galore. You know, if you've got a heart condition or if you're pregnant or if, you know, you've got a hangnail, please don't go on this roller coaster, you know. If you're not six foot five, you probably shouldn't be on it. Or no, if you're six foot five, you can't be on it. But if you're 48 inches, you can't go on it. And stow your baggage, you know, your belongings in our little cubby hole that we're going to charge extra for. And, you know, all of these things before you even get seated on the roller coaster. And then you sit in the seat and your feet are dangling from, you know, in the air below you. And you're going, what am I getting myself into? And then you pull the the shoulder harness down and it kind of locks in place or it doesn't feel like it's overly locked but you're hoping that it is and if it's a really bad one you know they get an extra you know seat belt that you need either put around your waist or it locks the harness down and you're just like oh man this is going to be bad and then you wait you know for a long period of time for everybody to get seated and you know the anxiety levels going up and up and up and then you've got somebody that comes along who works there that thankfully yanks on your shoulder harness to reminds you that it's in place and it's not going to let go. And here's why you want that assurance of security. Watch this video. I've had the privilege, that might be actually a little bit generous, to be on that roller coaster, okay? I was on it once, and only once. My kids went on it a bunch more times, but you noticed 
in that, and that the unique feature of that roller coaster is that you literally are locked in place overlooking the drop for several seconds. And from what I've been told, they change up the duration every so often. So you could go on at one time, and it could be three seconds you're waiting there looking down. And then the next time you go on, it could be 10 seconds that you're waiting down to look down, or 20. And when you're facing that, you want to make sure that you are secure. But here's the thing. In Romans chapter 8 that we're looking into today, there is a security that Paul talks about that is beyond anything that we would experience here on earth. That security that we want to have when we're on a roller coaster does not match the security that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8. And so I encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 31. We're going to work to the end of the chapter. Chapter 8 of Romans is one of, if not the high point of Scripture. Now, that that might be a pretty bold statement, but Romans chapter 8 has some truths that Paul reveals to us by the Holy Spirit that, that are just so profound and encouraging and, and um, life-changing that we, we need to spend time in it. And for the last couple of weeks, Pastor Barry's been preaching through Romans chapter 8, and we have the privilege today to finish off the chapter. The chapter begins with a statement that says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the chapter ends by saying that there is no separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What an amazing chapter to have such strong declarations that bookend the chapter for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And it's going to be exciting for us, I think, this morning to celebrate the security of the believer as we work through this particular passage of Scripture. Before we dive in, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you for how this passage of Scripture just accentuates that, that truth, reminds us of how much you love us, makes it abundantly clear that we cannot be separated from the love of God. God, I pray that you would help me as I teach and these my friends as they listen. I pray, God, that you would open up the Scriptures to us that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us individually as we need to hear this passage, as you need to instruct us or desire to instruct us from your word. God, I pray that we would understand how important it is for us to know for sure that we are going to spend eternity with you. How important it is that we know for sure that we are in a right standing with you through Jesus Christ. God, I do pray that if there's someone here this morning who does not know Christ as their Savior, I pray that as we look at this passage, that they would realize that they can know for sure that they can be saved of their sin and that they can spend eternity with you. God, I pray that you just guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39, so that we can see the wealth of truth in this particular passage that Paul lays out for us. He says this, What then shall we say to these things? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ is the one who died, more than that who was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God, Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to draw your attention to a statement that's made at the end of this passage and is actually made in the very first verse of the chapter, chapter 8 of Romans. It says, in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In order for us to really get an understanding of our security as believers, we need to understand that this is something for believers. It answers a lot of questions that sometimes crop up in this particular passage or passages like this um, when we understand that it applies to those who have trusted Christ as their Savior. As Paul describes this, people who are in Christ Jesus. Paul in Romans chapter 6 deals with the issue of that oftentimes kind of comes up is, well, it if your eternal state is secure, you know, once saved, always saved, as the phrase is sometimes said, doesn't that give you guys as believers a license just to live whatever way you want? And Paul deals with that issue in a couple different places, but in Romans chapter 6, he's already dealt with this issue. He already talks about the fact that those who have trusted Christ as their Savior are dead to sin and alive to Christ. In, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter um, 4 or 5, verse 17, this is what Paul says here. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul over and over and over says, when we trust Christ as our Savior, we are transformed. The Scriptures makes it abundantly clear that we have the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us, who takes up residence in our lives, and He transforms us. He renews us. He regenerates us. We are not the same people after we got saved than we were before we got saved. Paul wrestles with this question, well, yeah, but... Does that mean that you guys are perfect as believers? No. Paul deals with that in Romans chapter 7. That we as Christians, because we, have, we still are in the flesh, we still have fleshly bodies, we still have fleshly desires, we are still at war with the Spirit at times. That the things that we want to do, we don't do, and the things that we don't want to do, we do. And it's a constant battle. That we won't see perfection until we 
have been glorified. And yet, with those understandings, that when we are in Christ, we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. With that understanding that, you know what, I, I am still here on planet Earth in a body that constantly is at odds with what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. I still have security in my salvation. We wrestle with that. We wrestle with the fact that sometimes we don't respond the way that we know we should to our family or our spouse. You know, we're rude, we're obnoxious, and that comes in our hearts, accuse us, and we're just, that's not how a Christian's supposed to behave. We wrestle with sin in our lives, and sometimes we're just, we wrestle with assurance. Am I really saved? Do, I mean, I'm just not living like I don't feel very saintly today. You talk to somebody about your faith, and you talk about how you have trusted Christ as your Savior, and you're going to spend eternity in heaven, and your, 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 your friend or your colleague says, yeah, but can you really know that for sure? Like, isn't that kind of an obnoxious statement? Aren't you, guys, aren't you pretty arrogant to say that you know for sure that you're going to spend eternity with God? I remember having a conversation with somebody one time. I, I was talking to them about spiritual things. I asked them if they um, believed in God and if they believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And, and we were talking about uh, salvation and so on. And I said, do, do you know for sure that you're going to spend eternity with God? After ask, answering all the right questions, yes, I believe in God. Yes, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Have you tr trusted Christ as, as your Savior? Oh, yes, I've done that. Do you know for sure that you're going to spend eternity with God? And the re person's response was, I hope so. And as I drilled down on it, for them it was a works-based salvation. I, I hope that I've done enough. I hope that I go to church enough. I hope that they had no assurance that they were actually secure in Christ. And Paul says, look at this. We can have assurance that we are secure in Christ. We can celebrate our security in Christ. And he dives into it for us. There's two things that I want to draw out from this particular passage. In verses 31 to 34, we're going to talk about the impregnable position of the believer. There's nothing that can undermine the position that we have in Christ as believers. And number two, through verses 35 to 39, we're going to talk about the immeasurable love of God. So let's look at verses 31 to 34 together. It says this, Paul says, what then shall we say? To these things, what things? The things that he just got done saying in the previous first part of the chapter. The fact that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That God is no longer going to hold our sin against us. That we're not going to be judged because of our sin, but because we've been saved from our sin. That in fact, God's going to do a work in our lives to do... To, to develop sanctification in our lives, to move us to be more like Christ, that ultimately at some point we're going to be glorified, we're going to be changed, this corruptible body that's breaking down every single day, I notice it more and more, is going to be transformed into an incorruptible body, where sin isn't an issue anymore for me, where there's going to be no tears, there's going to be no sickness, there's going to be no death. Something that we get to look forward to at some point in the future. Paul says, what do, we, what do we say about these things? And then he makes this statement. If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He starts right off with such a confident statement, if God is for us. Really, in the, in the Greek, the word if that we translate into, into the English language is probably a, a better rendered as because. So it could read this way, because God is for us. Who could be against us? What an encouraging statement that Paul makes right off the bat. And then he says this, he follows up that question by letting us know, he who sp- did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us all things? If God wasn't willing to hold back his own son to be the sacrifice for our sins, he's not going to hold back on all, the, all those other good things that he promised to us. Future glory. He's not going to hold back on that. James tells us that he's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's not going to hold back on those things. Some might want to, might argue, well, okay, so no person's against us. But what if God just decides at some point that, you know what, I, 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 don't, want to, I don't want to maintain your salvation. I don't want to maintain your security. Well, guess what? Scripture tells us abundantly that God is a God who never changes, and God is a God who always fulfills His promise. In James chapter 1, verse um, 7, it says, every good, uh, every good gift comes from the Father of lights, where there is no variation or shadow due to change. God doesn't change. In Hebrews, it tells us that Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If God makes the promise that I have justified you, I have made you right with me because you've trusted in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, then that's the way it is. It's never going to change. Because he didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Then Paul continues on. He says this, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Now, Paul's not saying that there aren't people that do bring a charge against his elect. He's really emphasizing the fact that any charge that brought means nothing at all, really. In the end, doesn't affect what Christ has done for us. Think about it for a second. When we do something that God doesn't want us to do, when we sin, our hearts accuse us. We experience conviction of sin. We experience the shame and the guilt that comes with sin. Our own, our own hearts can uh, accuse us sometimes. We wrestle with the, the you know, I know that a Christian's not supposed to live that way. Like, really? Dave, did, did, are you really supposed to respond that way when somebody cuts you off on the street? When the light turns green and they're super slow at moving and you're just grumbling? And you're just like, yeah, I know I should. I'm not supposed to do that. That's not what a Christian does. The Bible tells us that Satan accuses us. He regularly goes before God and says, can you imagine what Dave, did you see what Dave just did there? It, you're telling me he's a believer? That's not acting like a believer. Seriously. And God says, hold on. He's trusted in my son for his salvation. Jesus is taking care of that. We have people that oftentimes accuse us, accuse us of not living the way that we're supposed to live. And those things happen. Those are a part of life. It's not that people don't bring charges against God's elect. It's that God doesn't look at those charges. 
God looks at what Jesus Christ did. He looks at what he's declared. Look at it. It says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. So when those charges come, God goes, no, I've declared them right with me because of the work of my son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, because of his shed blood, because this person trusts Jesus for his salvation. So guess what? I've declared him righteous. So you can bring the charge, but it doesn't make any difference. Keep on. It says, who is it to condemn? And of course, the rhetorical answer is no. Nobody. Nobody can condemn. But then Paul says this, Jesus Christ is the one who died, and more than that was raised, and who is at the right hand of God who intercedes for us. There's, no now, there, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the one who died. Jesus paid the, the, the price for our sins. God makes it abundantly clear that we as human beings are sinful people. We will do anything we can to exalt ourselves or something else above God. And as a holy God, God's got to deal with that sin. He's got to judge that sin. He's, he, the sin has to be paid for. And Christ was the payment for that sin. And not only that, but Jesus' resurrection is the proof that the payment was made. And he now intercedes on our behalf. He is up there as our advocate. When Satan brings that accusation, Jesus says, hold on. That accusation, that's already been dealt with. I've already sacrificed myself on the cross of Calvary. I rose again three days later. I've paid for that. You know what the encouraging thing is, is that Hebrews really expands this out for us a little bit and really helps us to get a little bit more of an insight. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people had to regularly sacrifice for sin. They were temporary sacrifices. That the priests, because they were imperfect people, it just was generation after generation after generation of priests that would regularly operate in the temple offering up sacrifices, temporary sacrifices for the sins of the people. There, was no, there were no seats in the temple because their job was never done so they could never sit down. They're always standing, doing their job. And yet, in Hebrews chapter 7, it says this. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, Jesus, are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in the office. But he holds his priesthood permanently. Because he continues forever, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. The writer of Hebrews goes on in Hebrews chapter 10 and says this in verse 11, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus' sacrifice was perfect. It was done, completed. No more sacrifices needed to the point where he sits down at the right hand of the throne of God saying it's finished. 
And when the accusations come by the enemy against us who know Christ as Savior, he says, no, I'm going to advocate for this person. That person's trusted me as their Lord and Savior. I've paid for that sin. I've paid the debt of that. And God the judge says, I've already declared these people righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done. We have an impregnable position as a believer. No matter what, there is, there no, no, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can say with confidence that you will spend eternity with God if you've trusted Christ as Savior. Why? Because of what God has done for you. If somebody asks you, how is it that you can know for sure that you're spending eternity with God? I need to say, if your answer is, I know because I, you've given the wrong answer. Because there's absolutely nothing you and I have done to secure our salvation. God's the one who draws, draws to him, drew, drew him, drew us to himself through the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus who paid the, the penalty for our sins by his sacrifice on the cross. It's God that offers the free gift of salvation to those of us who will receive it. It's not me that did anything. It's God that did everything. My answer should be, I know that I'm going to spend eternity with God because of what God did for me. That's how I know that I have an impregnable position in Christ. That's not even getting into the wealth of, of, of Scripture that talks about our adoption as sons and daughters of God and all that we inherit as children of God. Paul just has so much in this that we can't possibly get through it all. Let's look at verses 35 to 39 then, which talk about the immeasurable love of God because as Paul talks about our position in Christ, our secure position in Christ, he just flows right into the fact that we will never be separated from the love of Christ. He says this in verses 35 to 39, Who then will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor, any other, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of, Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. Paul encourages us here because... Yeah, I can know and I can be assure, assured of the fact that nobody can really bring, me, bring an accusation against me to the Lord. But, you know, we can be impacted by lots of things in our lives here on earth that really can undermine what we know about the love of God. We can go through some extremely gut-wrenching times in our lives that, that cause us to sit and go, do you really love me, God? If you really love me, would, would you, would, do you really want me to go through this? I'm not saying that those times are right when we think those, things, those times, but there are times when we just sit back and we go, really? Like, if you really love me, wouldn't, wouldn't you allow this to end? Wouldn't you protect me from this? And yet Paul says, you know what? 
There's nothing that will separate us from the love of Christ. And he lists a variety of things. He says tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Tribulation being the things that pressure us inwardly and outwardly in our lives. Things that we all deal with. Stresses and things that weigh us down, that get us discouraged and, and, and have despair in our lives. Those things don't separate us from the love of Christ. God doesn't stop loving us in the midst of those things, no matter how we feel. God still loves us. Paul just continues to build on these things. Tribulation, distress is something even more difficult than persecution. Hardship based on our relationship with Christ. Being abused or or mistreated because we've trusted Christ as our Savior. Those persecutions can lend to famine or want of food because maybe that persecution has cost us our job. And so we can't adequately feed ourselves or our families. It's, it, it brings about nakedness, not the idea of, of complete nudity, but the idea of un, unable to pr- adequately clothe ourselves because we're experiencing persecution as believers. And as people experience those things, in our humanness, we can say, is this really how God demonstrates his love to me? And we need to be reminded that these things don't separate us from the love of Christ. Peril, all kinds of danger. Sore is always a symbol of death, execution. And just so that we don't think that Paul doesn't know what he's talking about when he says these things. Sometimes we can read that and say, well, what do you know, Paul? Like, it's easy for you to say. Well, let me just read this for you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this. In verse 23, near the end, he says this. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night in the day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, in dangers from robbers, in dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, and often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from, all, from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of anxiety for all the churches." If anybody knows what he's talking about, it's Paul. And Paul endured all of these things, and at the end of the day, he can come back and say, you know what, none of those things separate me from the love of Christ. Because nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. And he quotes this passage in Psalms, where the psalm writer talks about those who follow God followers of the Lord. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. And sometimes that's where it ends up, that we as followers of Jesus, it may cost us our lives. And even when our lives here on earth end, it doesn't separate us from the love of Christ. To which Paul in verse 37 makes this statement, he says, 
know in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Think about that phrase for a second, more than conquerors. It's really the statement of overwhelmingly conquering. It's conquering with success to spare. For those of us that know Christ as their Savior who are persevering for Christ, we can overwhelmingly conquer by coming out of troubles stronger than we went into than, than when we went into them. See, trials and tribulations are designed by God to strengthen our faith, to sanctify us, to, be make, to make us more like Christ, and we overwhelmingly conquer when we come through a tribulation stronger than we went into it. We overwhelmingly conquer as followers of Jesus when we recognize that the ultimate reward will far surpass any temporary loss that we might suffer. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this, Paul says this, in light of what he's experiencing in his life, he says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's how Paul can say we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he concludes by saying, look, I'm confident of this, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. And he covers everything in the gambit, life, death, angels, rulers, things present, past, present, future, nor height, nor depth. He's really referring to time and space. There is nothing, 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 nothing that will separate us from the love of Christ, love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because Paul knows that we love him because he first loved us. We as believers can have confidence that we are going to spend eternity with him, and we can celebrate that assurance and that security. I think of the words of Polycarp when he was going to be burned at the stake, and he was commanded to renounce Christ. And this is Polycarp's statement. He says, Eighty and six years I have served him, and never once has he wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who saved me? Paul, or, uh, Polycarp was so confident of where he was going to go after he died that he was never going to renounce Christ because he knew what Christ had done for him, and he was going to endure to the end. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I can tell you unequivocally from this passage of Scripture, you can know for sure if you trust Christ as your Savior that you will spend eternity with God. But you need to come to that realization that, you know what, you are an enemy of God currently. Because of your sin, you are not reconciled to God. You are an enemy of his, but you can trust Jesus Christ to save you from that sin and experience the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in your life and know for sure that you're spending eternity with God. Did you need to be reassured this morning that when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were secure in him, that nothing can separate you from the love of God? I trust that you have been encouraged, believers, to continue to endure 
no matter what the trial is, remember that your eternal destination is secure in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for how definitive your word is on this. That as Paul says, this is a, this is a, a case that's closed. There's no argument. There's no discussion. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that we cannot possibly be separated from the love of God in Christ. That when we trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that we confess our sin to you and, and, and declare with our mouth that Christ is Lord. that our sins are forgiven, that you've justified us, that you've declared us righteous, that Christ has paid the penalty of our sin. He's the proof. His resurrection is the proof that the price has been paid, and that we can have that security that we will spend eternity with you. God, I pray that we can, as we're talking to our friends and our colleagues and our relatives about our faith, that we can convey to them the security that we have in Christ Jesus not because of what we've done, but what you've done for us. In Christ's name, amen.